in this edition of Hoopsology, Matt Thomas chats with the author of The Role of a Lifetime, Larry Farmer, and the UCL Bruins, Larry Farmer. Matt gets insight into Larry's love for basketball, why kids should have fun in sports, Larry's favorite memories of UCLA, and a lot, lot more. I know Matt really, really enjoyed this chat. This is a great podcast. Getting into the insight of of why UCLA is one of the most celebrated basketball programs in all of sports. So you don't want to miss this. I'm really going to enjoy this chat with Larry. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod.gmail.com. Follow us on all social media platforms for our latest shows. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Larry Farmer. He is a former coach and player for the UCLA Bruins. He is a UCLA Athletics Hall of Famer. He is also the author of Role of a Lifetime, Larry Farmer, and the UCLA Bruins. We have the pleasure of welcoming Larry Farmer onto Hoopsology. Larry, how are you doing? Terrific, thanks. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Really have been excited for this chat since it's it's been on our calendar and looking forward to getting your insight on a lot of different topics here. And I want to start off with a question we like to throw to our guests in general, which is just kind of getting sort of your starting point or favorite point in basketball. So what is your first or favorite basketball memory? You can you can take this any direction that you'd like to take it. Right, right. Well, I, I remember, uh, you know, in growing up in Denver, um, we'd go to church on Sunday. I'd rush home, eat dinner, run out, get some shots up, and then come in so I could watch, you know, the NBA game of the week. And more often than not, it was Bill Russell's Boston Celtics mm-hmm. against Jerry West and Elgin Baylor's L.A. Lakers. And I was immediately drawn to Elgin Baylor and the mm-hmm. great style by which he he played and floated in the air and you know the different ways he could score around the basket and so my first real memory of of finding someone that I idolized in in basketball was watching Elgin Baylor now they could never beat the Celtics (laughs) (laughs) they never those darn Celtics (laughs) (laughs) so um so Elgin Baylor playing against the Celtics one of the first memories. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a basketball magazine. And there were of course, pictures of Elgin Baylor in there. And then he did a commercial for carnation milk. He was a carnation baby. And so there was a great picture of Elgin driving to the basket there. And so I cut these pictures out and I uh, taped them on my wall. And that was the guy that I thought, you know, if I could ever play basketball, I wanted to play like Elgin. That was really my first memory of when I got consumed with with basketball. Very, very cool. And what was basketball culture like overall in Denver? I know you played high school ball in Denver, of course. Um, what was kind of the the reach of basketball at the time? I mean, did it feel similar type of reach as it as it does nowadays potentially um media being such a different thing uh over the eras it was it was very regional and uh we had just gotten our own professional basketball team you know the aba mm-hmm. had started and we had the denver rockets you know the red white and blue basketball the three-point shot uh cheerleaders and it was a lot of fun because again you know you, you'd only 
in Denver, you could only watch the NBA on television. And now to have a professional team, you know, actually playing in Denver. Uh, high school basketball was always very popular. We had our own set of heroes, guys that were great high school players that had gone on to play in college. But all of those guys played regionally, you know, University mm -hmm. of Colorado, University of Wyoming, uh, uh, Kansas, Nebraska. But it never had expanded. But it was a very popular sport. And it was played in the offseason more outdoors uh, than it was indoors. Gotcha. And, you know, nowadays, I mean, a lot of, you know, I've, I have little kids. Um, a lot of friends of mine have kids. And from a very early age, it seems like it's more and more common to specialize, whatever the sport may be. I mean, it could be volleyball, baseball. You know, we've got club teams, high school teams, et cetera, more and more. How common was it? when you were in high school for people to be going for athletic scholarships? I mean, was that a more rare thing that was going on at the time or did it feel like people were, were really engaged in competing for those scholarships at the time? Yes. Because of the high school that I went to um, always winning city championships and always competing for the state championship. We always had players uh, from manual high school that represented you know, Manuel on the all city, all metro, all state team, um, got honor, honorable mention, a uh, parade all American um, uh, accolation. So getting a scholarship was something that most players at the high school level in Denver, um, you know, tried to work towards because it was happening for the really good players, uh, you know, in the state of Colorado. But um, you know, the culture leading into high school, a lot of guys played a lot of different sports. And it wasn't until you probably got to high school that most of the, um, at least the guys that, that I hung around, really started to focus on basketball. Now, there were kids that I played with that had been playing basketball, you know, from the time they were in elementary school. But that's hmm. when the focus really kind of narrowed was by the time guys got to high school. Right on. As as a coach, what's, what's kind of your view of that specialization? I mean, is, is there a recommendation that you make to, you know, young athletes coming up? I mean, do you want them to experience lots of sports or do you think it's important with how competitive things are nowadays for people to specialize? You know, I still believe that that kids should have fun. And I think until they recognize you know, what sport it is that they really want to focus on uh, to direct all of their time and attention towards. I think as a young kid growing up, you should play um, and play sports and play them all. You know, try to figure out which one that you like, which one you don't like. Sports get serious <laughs> soon enough <laughs> and stakes go up, you know, soon enough. And I think um, rather than take one's childhood away where those <laughs> Playing with their friends is still fun. Um, you'll pick the lane you want to get in. And I, I've seen examples where uh, parents or coaches have kind of pigeonholed youngsters early and gotten them focused on one sport. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I know with my own children, they, they all play, uh, both my kids played multiple sports. My daughter really kind of focused on volleyball when she got to high school. It broke my heart because she was a terrific little basketball player uh, <laughs> and her high school coach is hard too. 
but she played soccer, volleyball, and basketball all the way through elementary school. And when she got to the ninth grade, she focused. My son played uh, basketball and soccer. He loved soccer. He played all the way through high school. His high school soccer team finished second in the state of Illinois. They lost in the state championship game. And then his basketball team that he played on, they went downstate. So, you know, it, it, it was an interesting balance. But that would be my, uh, that would be my hope or my advice to any uh, parent is let your children play and let them figure out what direction they want to go in and to be 100% supportive. Totally, totally. So you're a high schooler in Denver. You have considerable talent as a basketball player. When does UCLA come on the radar? I know they are established as, I mean, a, a great college basketball team to say the least. I mean, what what is that initial interaction? And I mean, maybe to use a bad analogy, do you feel like uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory getting your golden ticket to go <laughs> to be recruited by this school. Yeah, it, I really did. I reached out to UCLA uh, in those days. You know, Coach Wooden rarely went out of state uh, to recruit. You know, the state of California and Southern California. Ninety percent of the guys that were on those teams were essentially local kids, and so you know, I, I watched the game of the century like you know, half of America did, you know, back in 1968 when UCLA played uh, Houston. This is the first time they had a big game like that on prime time. Number one versus number two, Elvin Hayes versus Lou Alcindor. And I fell in love with UCLA and that became my dream school. You know, if I could go there, I mean, I, that, that, that was my number one choice. Uh, but they weren't recruiting me. So I basically recruited them. I, I wrote a letter. I sent my transcript. I sent a really good, a really good game film, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then got a response back. And I'll never forget my high school principal and my high school coach. They took me out of class. I went down to the principal's office, and my high school coach was also the dean of of students. So I didn't know if I was in trouble or not. And, <laughs> and so I go down um, uh, and and go in the principal's office. And they had me sit down and they said, hey, we just got a call from UCLA and they're going to be calling you tonight. And the rest of the conversation was blurred because after they said UCLA would be calling you tonight, I don't think I heard anything else. And <laughs> in that evening, Denny Crum called me and, you know, Hall of Fame coach Denny Crum from Louisville. He was an assistant at UCLA for Coach Wooden and he the first thing he said to me, Larry, do you think you're good enough to play at UCLA? And, you know, of course, yes, yes, I am. Then I thought about it. Am I? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was me reaching out to them. And when I first heard back from them, it was surreal. And I probably spent all of that summer with that same sensation. Is this really happening to me? And it wasn't until I showed up on campus. Hey, yeah, I guess this really did happen. <laughs> wow. So then take, take me in your shoes. You, you make the team and um, tell us, I, I know I saw in the book, but what was that student athlete experience like? You know, there, there were differences between freshmen and upperclassmen, mm -hmm. um, but how did, how did it feel to now be wearing that Bruins jersey and be there? I mean, did you, did you have a sense of 
how big that was in the moment you were there or did that hit you later on? Yeah, it really hit me later. You know, as, as, as a freshman, you couldn't play on the varsity. So you played freshman basketball. You know, Lou Alcindor had done that. Um, uh, you you named the great players, Curtis Rogue, Henry Baby. All these guys played freshman basketball, you know, before moving up to the varsity. And so playing in that freshman game in Pauley and then being courtside and then watching the varsity play, um, it really started to take shape how good this team was. I mean, we had our varsity inner squad game and the varsity team before they played it, the game was televised. Our inner squad game was televised. And then they hoisted the championship banner from the year before. So because we won the championship every year, that just became a part of our, you know, preseason uh, tradition. Hey, we're going to raise the banner <laughs> last year. And really and truly because of coach Wooden's approach, every season, you know, every day in practice, it really kind of kept all of us grounded. And it wasn't until many years later, you know, in looking back, um, that it really kind of all came into perspective, you know, winning three championships in a row in three years, you know, we only lost one game, you know, it was kind of a big deal. Um, and we knew we were good, but you found out how good later when you really had a chance to kind of step back, grow up, and then look at, you know, everything that those teams accomplished. Wow, that's probably a, a great thing in the moment to <laughs> to not be fully aware <laughs> of of just how big that was. You mentioned Coach Wooden's methods, and, and I, of course, have to ask, I mean, shame on us on this podcast. We haven't really had a chance to dive into Coach Wooden all that much yet. I mean, who better to to ask than a, a player under him uh, and, and a coach under him as well? Um, can you describe for us, I mean, what was playing for Coach Wooden like and, and what were some of those methods? Um, you know, a practice was Coach Wooden's baby. Um, that was his classroom. And if you could have been at one of his practices, you would have been bored to tears. Now, you would have great players making great plays, but you would have witnessed practice after practice, drill after drill, with fundamentals being emphasized. The drills were repetitive. So if you went three days, you might see, you know, 70% of the same drills run over and over again. There was no fancy um, globetrotter plays in practice. You know, he played that very much close to the best. You saw a lot of teamwork. Um, you know, that's where he believed games were won and lost. That's where the philosophy about just getting a little bit better each and every day came into focus. And I think that was one of the other reasons why, even with the great expectations, you know, that our, our fans and, and um, um, you know, people that followed basketball in general, um, the expectation for us to achieve had become so high because we were winning so much, but it was because of his approach every day. Um, we never got lost in winning the big game. Or One thing, Coach never mentioned winning. A lot of people have talked about that. Coach Wood never said the word winning uh, in a practice or in a post-game speech. Um, it's funny. He did talk about a loss. I only lost one game in three years. <laughs> so, <laughs> I read that in the book because I only heard that speech once. 
but it was his approach in practice. And then off the court, if you've ever seen his pyramid of success, where he talks about the behaviors, um, uh, the whole bottom of the pyramid, all has to do, all of those behaviors have to do with working with other people, being considerate and getting along. Um, this is how he lived his life. You know, who you've heard he was is exactly who Coach Wooden was. And so you combine this wonderful human being um, who was an excellent teacher, excellent basketball mind. He made us fundamentally sound. He made us play as a team. Um, he got us in great physical shape. And then you get some of the best players to ever play the game. You know, the, the, the rest is history. <laughs> Absolutely. And so you mentioned, I mean, this sounds like to me, I mean, an obsession, a great obsession with mastery repetition that, that you mentioned early on there. And then also kind of on, on the human psychological, spiritual, emotional side. I mean, uh, a great understanding, it sounds like of, of psychology and managing team chemistry as well. Um, I mean, what, what was that like in, in terms of the day-to-day, -day, you know, I imagine like with any team of, you know, 18 to 20 some year old males, I mean, there's going to be competition, conflicts, things like that. How was that managed day-to-day -day and how was uh, team chemistry kept healthy? Um, you know, it was a healthy competition. It took a special person to want to go to UCLA. And mm -hmm. you knew the odds that you were up against as soon as you got there. I'll never forget going into our first, um, it was our media day. And so you had hordes of media coming in, you know, to, we, we were all in our uniforms and, you know, they would take pictures of the stars and, you know, my first year was Sidney Wicks, Curtis Rowe, Steve Patterson. We had all these great players. And as they would talk about each one of the players on the team, every guy on our team was all state first team, all American, you know, high school player of the year in the state. And so you know what you're up against. And it wasn't a comparison um, um atmosphere. The culture wasn't one of comparison. I, oh, I've, I've got to be better than him. It was a competition. Um, I've got to work as hard as I can to be the best player that I could be so I can compete against this guy. You know, it was, it was, it was like that. Coach Wooden did a great job also of picking out young men with great character. Um, mm -hmm. And so even though in those days with the freshman rule, we had players that when they kind of figured that they might not make the team or play much as a sophomore or junior. We had players transfer every year uh, that left UCLA and went to other programs and became starters and played. Mm -hmm. But it was a very healthy culture um, and, and all having to do with Coach Wooden. There was a certain brotherhood in the locker room because once you did make that, you know, you put on those four letters, you know, you've got a bullseye on your back anyway. And, but it was also a source of, 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 of pride. Uh, I've, I've been around guys all these many years later that played on the JV team at UCLA, never on the varsity. And they'll tell people, you know, I played at UCLA. <laughs> they love it. But that's a sense of the, you know, the brotherhood and, and the camaraderie. The culture was one of excellence. Um, it was one of achievement. But it was also 
understanding your role. The name of my book is a role of a lifetime, but it was, you quickly learned your role. And uh, through that competition, you knew if you did your job, we could be successful. And if you didn't do your job, there was a guy waiting behind you that would do it and then consequently make the team uh, successful. But the coach was very healthy because it was very competitive. Awesome. Do you get the sense, do you perceive echoes of that UCLA Bruins dynasty into the modern era? Or do you think that um, things have just changed so much into the modern era of basketball? I mean, are there things that you perceive or is it is it hard to see that now in the modern era of basketball? Um, you, you know, I, I, I think it's... I think basketball is as popular as it's ever been. I think because of what we did, the kids that even today that go to UCLA understand that every day they practice underneath those 11 banners. Um, Mm -hmm. Every time UCLA has a good team or they're ranked in the top 10 or in the top five or if they're ranked number one, it brings back those 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 shadows, those old ghosts, and all of a sudden the, <laughs> you know, rises. Um, there are teams. You take UConn this year. They said UConn was very dominant, you know, in the NCAA tournament. They won every game by an average of twenty points. That reminded me of my junior year at UCLA, um, where we won every game. We went undefeated, and we won every game by thirty points. You know, not just, you know, the, the four we played in the tournament back in those days. And then the next year, our fans said we gave them heart attacks because our average win margin for the entire season had dropped down to 21. <laughs> I see team today. I know. We, we laugh at that. <laughs> the, bigger. the kids today are stronger and they're, they're physical and they're quicker. Um, I think a lot of the things that we were required to be good at in the past are now becoming things that kids have to be better at today. Um, they call players really skilled if they can dribble, pass, um, defend, you know, rebound and shoot. Well, to make a UCLA team, you had to be able to do those things. Now, you might have been better at one or two of those things, but you weren't going to beat out that other All-American if you weren't good at most of those things. And the game got specialized, and I see it now coming back to the point, and in the NBA as well, where we will describe a guy he's really skilled. Well, that's what you had to be back in the old days. And I like the fact that basketball has gravitated, you know, back toward the fundamentals. I I hope I answered your question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great answer. Um, I I have to ask, you know, you brought up kind of the – the ghosts of UCLA past and, and those, those kind of past expectations casting a shadow over anytime UCLA or uh, some of those other legendary programs, I'm sure are, are ranked. Um, do yeah. you think that the dynasty, I mean, obviously you're never going to re- regret putting up all those banners or anything like that, but do you think that in some ways it was, it was a hindrance to the future of UCLA and I mean, was there like a shift where that became true, if it is true? I think uh, because I was a member of the coaching staff of Coach Bartow, who immediately followed Coach Wooden. 
I think that might have been the toughest time for UCLA basketball because you're going from a coach who won 10 championships in 12 years, Coach Bartow, who was an excellent coach, went 52 and nine, 52 and nine in two years, and was essentially pressured because there were fans that weren't happy. We went to the final four. Two of those nine games that we lost were to the 75 Indiana team. And a lot of people have said that Quinn Buckner, Scott May, Ken Benson, that that Indiana team might have been one of the best college teams of all time. Now, as a UCLA Bruin, I disagree with that thinking. <laughs> but that might have been really and truly the toughest time. Um, I think when you have a program like Duke or Kentucky, um, the things that they accomplished in Vegas, what they're doing in Gonzaga, you build this foundation. And that's why you continue to get really good players. Um, so the dynasty would never hurt UCLA. If, I'm sure if you interviewed any of the guys, Tiger Campbell, um, Joaquin, you you enter do hockey, you you enter you interview any of these kids and say why did you come to UCLA? And somewhere in their reasoning, they're going to mention championships. They're going to mention Coach Wooden. And so what might be a hindrance to some fifty years later? Those four letters are still attracting the best players. And they're coming there knowing that the expectation is always going to be different there than it is anyplace else. Mm. You know, Larry, I, I have to share with you that Justin and I are alma mater of the University of New Mexico. So the Lobos, it's, you know, Albuquerque, smaller for a major city, but uh, very much diehard college basketball when the Lobos are yes. good. Coach Alford, uh, we were in college while Coach Alford was coaching the Lobos, and he was hired, as as I'm sure you know, by the UCLA Bruins. Um, yes. And, you know, even us being far removed from that, that UCLA dynasty, I think any basketball fan in New Mexico in their heart of hearts understands, like, you got called up by UCLA. Can't, I can't <laughs> blame you for answering that call. <laughs> No, there, so that, that is very, that is very true. And it is special. Even you watch how teams celebrate this past season, the teams that beat UCLA, Arizona, USC, their fans stormed the court. They come hmm. out on the court to celebrate. And so we are many, many years removed. 1995, when Jim Herrick won the last national championship for UCLA, it's been a lot of years. But those sport letters still command when you, especially when we have those really good teams like we've had, you know, under Coach Cronin the last few years. It uh, those old ghosts get rekindled, and you know, and all of us old guys, we love it. I mean, hey, we we root for these teams and we want these kids to win, and and we're proud of them. But it's that culture, it's that expectation that we played under that they are playing under that we all kind of understand. And I, and I still think it's great uh, what we did for the game and how it's transcended uh, all these years into the UCLA program today. Absolutely. Um, just want to ask, generally speaking, I, I mean, you touched on, you know, this, the skill of modern players and, and things like that. Just personally, as a basketball fan, as, as a coach, what excites you about the modern game of basketball? Uh, the the speed at which the game is played and the athleticism 
um, players playing so far above the rim. Um, the three-point shot has changed the game. It, it used to be played from the inside out. And now, you know, the mid-range shot is is has become a dinosaur. We applaud, you know, the great NBA players that have that mid-range game. You know, we, we talk about it. The, the um, sportscasters, they talk about it. Um, Kevin Durant, you know, with that nice mid-range pull-up. Well, that mm-hmm. was the kind of shot that we worked hard to get in the old days. The three-point line has changed that. I think the speed at which the game is played, the flow, and the fact that players are more athletic, I love that about the modern-day game. What I wish would become an, a more prominent part of it, uh, back when I played, there was a lot of movement on offense. You know, Bobby Knight ran motion. Uh, we at UCLA ran the high post offense. Well, it involved play on the strong side where the ball was of movement, but it also involved movement away from the ball, which made those offenses as a player a lot more fun to run because you always knew that you might have an opportunity to get the ball, but it was also tougher to, def- to defend. Nowadays, because, you know, every team is a screen and roll team spread, take advantage of the three-point shot, you know, penetrate, draw, and kick, you'll find a lot of standing on the weak side. There's not as much movement. And the flow of the game, I miss that. The, the fast break, yeah, of course, you love it. Um, but once they get into the half court, it becomes a little bit more predictable. And for me, as a as an old basketball fan, that's not as much fun to watch as basketball used to be when all five players on offense were required to move and screen. Yeah, I, th- I think you're so right there, and and you see it over the years in in teams that have been successful. You know, whether in college or or in the professional level as well. I mean, you look at how like the Spurs moved the ball around and the Warriors kind of took some of that for their dynasty as well. Um, I mean, you can, you can just see on the energy of the court when everyone's touching the ball, they're having a better time. Yes. Um, Want to ask you one more question. And then I know I got to let you go. Um, Wanted to also get your perspective on the role of the modern day coach and, and the role of coaching that you've seen through the eras that, that you've coached through, how has the role of the coach changed specifically in the college game, if at all? Back when I played, and not only because I played for Coach Wooden, there was a lot less questioning of a coach's method, um, his system, his philosophy. You know, if you signed on to go to a a Kansas, a UCLA, a Notre Dame. Um, You know, you were going to get an education, but you were going to play for that coach. And there was a lot of trust uh, in that coach and belief in that coach. And through my 44 years of of coaching, what I saw was players um, being a little bit more difficult to always convince that what you might be teaching them might be the best approach. So there was a lot more questioning. Um, There was a lot more attention that needed to be uh, taken to the mental approach uh, off the court. Uh, There were more distractions, you know, the internet, you have all of these other things, uh, 
um, social media and it became a lot more. You were almost doing as much coaching off the floor as you were doing on the floor. Now, you always bond with your players and you get to know them. And, and, and that's true in any era, you know, at any level. But I found over the years that there had to be more attention paid off the court as there was on the court because of all of the distractions that these kids were being surrounded by. And then the, uh, the influence of the, the, the pro game has always influenced the college game. But when it really became specialized, you know, at the end of a UCLA practice, you might find us out shooting free throws or, you know, working on our crossover. My first year as a head coach um, at UCLA, our guys wanted to have dunk contests after, <laughs> after <laughs> practice was over instead of working on their free throw shooting. Um, and later, you know, 10 years later, every team had a, a piece of equipment called the gun. And so uh, this was a rapid fire way of, of you going to a spot and just working on jump shots. And then we had kids that would prefer to come in and get up shots on the gun as opposed to the old fashioned way where you went in the gym late at night and you just got up a hundred shots. And, you know, if you didn't want to chase down your misses, you made sure that all your misses were makes. Um, but it, 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 it changed that way. The, the modern day coach spends a lot more time off the court trying to understand his, his, his kids as opposed to the time that he might have spent getting to know them and then really putting his focus on making sure that they were good students and then, and then good athletes. More of a manager as opposed to a coach, and that role has kind of changed. Gotcha. Larry, this has been great. Honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Listeners and viewers, role of the life, role of a lifetime, Larry Farmer and the UCLA Bruins. Be sure you check it out. It's a fascinating read. Larry, please let our listeners know where they can find you, what projects you're working on, and anything else you'd like the listeners and viewers to know. Well, you know, I, I wrote the book because I thought that my experience at UCLA was different than probably most of the other players, you know, going from a player that was on championship teams that played for coach Wooden and then becoming uh, an assistant coach for all of the coaches that followed him. And then at age 30, becoming, you know, the head coach there myself. And it kind of spans the dynasty. And then what happened immediately after coach Wooden retired, I wrote a little mini chapter in the book about accepting your role. And this chapter was meant to not only accept your role if you're on a team, but you know, if you're on an office, anytime you work with people, a group of people, there are going to be people that are good at certain things and everybody has to be good at something in order to make that organization better. Um, I coached high school girls basketball this year. I'd never coached high school before in my life, much less coaching girls. And I had the girls quoting Coach Wooden's pyramid. They come to practice and say, you know, be quick, but don't hurry. It's amazing how much can be accomplished when no one's concerned over who gets the credit. These are 16 year old girls. And so his <laughs> has remained alive, you know, through those of us who, who follow. Um, I'm thinking about writing a follow-up book to the one that I have out now, but I'm enjoying life in retirement. I'm keeping busy and um, I still love watching college basketball. <laughs> Great to hear Larry. 
thanks again so much. And and we will definitely be on the lookout for that book if if you decide to uh, to release that. Um, <laughs> thank you again so much for your time today. Pleasure to have you. Thank you.